Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Amen, amen, and good morning. You can open up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 uh, this morning, Acts chapter 3. Before we get started, I would love for us uh, to take uh, a few moments and begin our time together in prayer, uh, uh, especially for those who find themselves uh, in the middle of the Ukraine this morning and all that is going on there. Um, you know, we just sang a song in freedom in this place, not out of fear, uh, not out of worry of whether or not our lives will be taking from us in the moment that we step out of this place. Uh, but we sang this song in worship about you're the one who holds all things together. Uh, and that's a lovely thing to sing in the midst of the mountaintop, right? That's one thing to sing when our lives are going great and everything's working out according to our plan. It is another thing to sing when you're in the midst of the valley wondering what is going to be in front of you and the next step that you take. And there are real brothers and sisters of ours this morning uh, that that is their reality uh, that they find themselves in. And so wherever you find yourself in the political spectrum on all sides of the issues, we're not going to go there. What we're going to do is we're going to pray for those who are suffering and who have faced immense loss. Uh, and who are worried about what tomorrow holds, would we gather together this morning and would we pray that the God who holds all things together would hold them this morning? Can we pray that together? Father, you are good despite the seasons we find ourselves in. And you are worthy despite the circumstances that we may walk through. And so if there are those today gathered in this place who are wondering whether or not you are good, who are wondering if you are worthy because of what they are walking through in their lives, God, I pray that you would just wrap your arms around them, that they would feel your goodness in this moment and they would be reminded that you are a good Father who loves them and who is holding everything together despite what things may feel like. For our brothers and sisters who find themselves in the Ukraine, who are uh, faced with war, who are faced with uh, just uncertainty and fear and anxiety and wondering what tomorrow may hold, God, I pray that your peace would rain down on them, Father God, that louder than any uh, uh, calamity or louder than any chaos and uh, fighting that they may hear, would they hear your peace And would they hear your sovereignty over it all, Father God? And God, I pray right now that your spirit would melt the heart of the aggression that is happening right now in this country and that peace would reign, that no more lives would be lost 
And God, we pray that your church who finds herself in the middle of this country would stand strong and would stand tall and would stand boldly and courageously and shine the light of Jesus to their neighbors, to their family members, to their friends, that they would see hope in the midst of what feels like a hopeless situation. So we ask you to hold it together We ask that you would be peace and we pray that you would bring peace in the midst of the situation. For it's your name we pray, amen. Well, as we gather together this morning, uh, we are in this series uh, called uh, Acts to the Ends of the Earth, where we are looking at how uh, the church began to expand and move out of Jerusalem. And we're going to study through this entire book of Acts uh, this year, if you haven't been a part of the weeks proceeding to today. Last week, uh, Maria, if you were not here, you missed an incredible, incredible time as Maria taught us from Acts chapter two. I'd encourage you, if you missed that, go back to our website, uh, to our meeting media page and you can actually listen to uh, uh, her uh, um, her teaching from last week. It was incredible as she unpacked uh, Pentecost and all that happened. And that's where we left ourselves uh, last week was this amazing event called Pentecost where the Holy Spirit of God fell down on the people of God on the uh, around 120 followers of Jesus that remained after his death and resurrection. Um, his spirit uh, flows out on them and empowers them to go out and to be his witness to the world. And we saw the, the evidences of the, this, uh, this powerful move of God in several ways in Pentecost. You saw uh, the mighty rushing wind that came over and that could be felt by those who were there in the crowd. You saw the flaming tongues that came on all of them and they could see this. You heard people speaking in different languages. There were many nationalities who were gathered in that place together and yet they heard the gospel being proclaimed in their own native tongue. These powerful uh, manifestations and evidences of God at work. And it's a, an amazing moment when God equipped his people with what they needed, the power that they needed through the Holy Spirit to go out and accomplish this uh, mandate he's given them in Acts 1.8, which is to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even into the ends of the earth. And that is where uh, we ended last week. And the question became, what is God's people or what are God's people going to do with this power they have been given through the Holy Spirit? Are they going to embrace it? Are they going to move forward and actually do something with it? Are they going to shrink into obscurity and fade away and do nothing with it? It's kind of like uh, when you've had uh, uh, one of those moments, uh, emotional moments, maybe in church you've gathered, maybe there's a, 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 a just powerful poignant time in, in a worship service where you felt God just fall on you and you're like, man, I, man, I could, I could accomplish anything. I think back to student ministry days, like, right, you go to summer camp or you do a weekend experience and kids are all lit on fire and they're coming back, they're ready to change the world and then they get home and just kind of slip back into their normal habits and what they have. And that's where we are here in Acts chapter three. What are the people of God gonna do with this amazing gift called the Holy Spirit that he's equipped them with? And we get the answer in Acts chapter three. We see that the church is not going to stay silent. 
the people of God are not going to shrink back to who they were before Jesus, but they're actually going to walk in this power. Now, chapter three gives us the very first recorded event that takes place after Pentecost. And uh, chapter three is divided into two segments. The first is a miracle that Peter and John perform of healing a man. And then the second is uh, what uh, uh, Peter does, which is preach to this crowd that has witnessed this miracle. And it's going to mirror somewhat of Pentecost. It's going to mirror Jesus's uh, healings as you watched him throughout the New Testament. And this shouldn't be a surprise or a shock to us because they watched Jesus do the same thing. Jesus would heal somebody and then he would teach them in the crowd that had gathered for the healing. And so let's jump in and see what encouragements we can find for our own life. If we're going to be fueled by the Holy Spirit in our own lives and the places we live, work and play, what encouragements do we find from this healing in Acts chapter three? Let's pick up verse one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, right off the bat, we see that Peter and John have not abandoned some of their Jewish traditions just because of their faith in Jesus. They haven't just walked away from everything that they had engaged in. They were actually now heading to the temple for prayer. Now, in the Jewish faith, there were certain times a day that you would go on your own to pray in the temple. And this was open for people to come and pray. It happened three times a day, nine o'clock in the morning, noontime, three o'clock in the afternoon. And so they were not afraid to go back to the temple and to pray. We learned from this passage that this is somewhere around three o'clock in the afternoon. This is the last time of prayer in the afternoon. And it is also important to note, and this is very important, Peter and John were not going to the temple at the hour of sacrifice that, uh, that uh, happened right before the three o'clock prayer time. This is very important. They're not going to make sacrifice because they realize the sacrifice has already been made in Jesus. This helps us understand a little bit of the motive about why Peter and John are going to the temple. They are not going because they are going out of obligation. Peter and John are not returning to the temple out of obligation to make a sacrifice or out of obligation to pray. They're going for a whole nother reason. And that reason is they're going by choice. They're choosing to return to the temple. They have an agenda. They have a purpose. And more than likely, the reason that John and Peter are returning to the temple is they're going in hopes of having a gospel conversation with somebody to tell them about Jesus. They're going to this place in Jerusalem where Jesus told them to start in hopes of having a conversation about Jesus, this man who died for the sins of the world. Peter and John were not hiding. They were ready to be a witness. And we find our first encouragement is that we too must be ready to be a witness for Jesus. If we're gonna live lives that are fueled by the Holy Spirit, we've gotta be ready to be a witness. We can't just shrink back and get in the rut of our routine and all the things that we have going on in our lives. They were ready to be a witness for Jesus. They weren't busied with other things, but rather they strategically chose to go to the place where they could have gospel conversations with other people. And my question is, do we live the same way today? Do we live with a mindset that says, I'm ready and I'm willing and I am able 
to have conversations about Jesus with my coworkers, with my neighbors, with my family members, with my friends who need to hear who Jesus is. 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We are called to live ready to be used by God at any moment to be a witness for Jesus to be ready to go and to jump in. Peter and John were not just coasting through life. They had a clear charge from Jesus to be his witness and they were ready and they were available and they were going to the place Jesus told them to start, Jerusalem. And what better place to go than the temple of, uh, of God where the people of God would be gathered. They needed to hear the message of Jesus. Are we living with that same mindset? that we're ready to be a witness for Jesus? Are we leaning in to opportunities where we know that we will be able to have conversations about Jesus with people? Or do we walk away from those? Do we walk a wide circle around them? It's hard to be used by God when we're not ready and available. I think back to Tanner and Allison who just had their, their first child and they can probably attest to this, right? And so, those of you who've had children in the room, when you hit probably about that four week out before the baby's due, mom's got her bag packed for the hospital, right? Because you don't know when that call is coming, right? You've got everything packed up in a bag. You've got everything you think you're gonna need for the hospital. Why? Because you don't know at what moment that baby's gonna say, I'm ready to be entered into the world, right? So you gotta be packed, ready, and uh, waiting uh, for that moment whenever it may come. And that's what Jesus is calling us to in 1 Peter 3. Be ready, be watching. Don't be caught off guard. You never know when I'm going to call you into action, when I'm going to present you with an opportunity to be my witness. And that's what John and Peter were doing here. They were making themselves ready and available for Jesus. Verse two. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms. That's uh, uh, like uh, uh, charity, basically of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms from them. Now this is important. This man is sitting at the gates to the temple and not just any gate, but the gate that is called the beautiful gate. It's on the east side of the temple. I believe there's um, a picture that's gonna come up on the screen uh, behind me. And these are very important. These are about 75 feet tall. And this day and age, they would have been overlaid in brass, which would, uh, would have been just an incredible, beautiful picture. And it's on the east side and it separates uh, the inner court uh, from the outer courts where the Gentiles would have been. It was a dividing point that you could not enter into. Now, what is interesting when you see this picture, if you go to the temple today, uh, these gates are actually closed. They've been filled in. You can see where they once were there in the arches. Those have been closed in. And if you see out in front here, you can see a graveyard that has been placed there. Now, this is very interesting because if you know the prophecies about Jesus and the uh, return of Jesus, when he comes back, the prophecy is that he will step down off the Mount of Olives, which is right over about where my table would be. And he will enter into the temple through this gate. 
So when the Muslims took over uh, the Temple Mount, the very first thing, the first thing they did to prevent this from happening, because they're very worried about Jesus doing this, is they filled in the gate so it's physically impossible for him to come in. All right, come on, guys. If he can raise from the dead, he's getting through those gates, right? They also went in and they put a, a cemetery and they have arranged, if you see, there is no clear pattern of the tombs or of the graves here. They're completely done in such a way that you cannot get through this graveyard without stepping on a grave, which again is a sin for a priest or someone uh, who is a religious leader within the Jewish faith. So they believe, again, they've tricked Jesus and he's not gonna be able to get in through this gate and they're secure and they're locked and loaded. But this is where the man would have been placed to beg outside the gate called beautiful, that people would have passed through entering into the temple. And this was a common practice for the sick, for the, the lame, for those who were in need. They would ask for money and Jewish uh, men and women on their way to their time of prayer or to a time of sacrifice. Uh, it was uh, common for them to give to these needy people because it was considered an act of righteousness that would help them. And so here this man is, uh, he is outside this gate. And I think it's interesting of all the places that he could have been positioned and all the places that Peter and John could have had this encounter. It was at this gate that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. And I think God has a strategic purpose here that he is showing us that, hey, there is no longer any separation in my people, that all are welcome at this point. That division, that dividing gate that separates the Gentiles from the Jews has been destroyed and there is no separation. All are the same in my kingdom. And so this man finds himself here. This is not his first day to beg at this gate. Scripture tells us that he has been afflicted for 40 something years. He's been crippled his whole life. That means that he could not walk on his own accord. He always depended on someone to assist him and to help him wherever he went. And we see also from this passage that he was brought here every single day to beg and to, uh, to live off the generosity of others. Verse four, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, Peter does something incredible when he sees this man. He does what the opposite of what most of us do. He makes eye contact with him. Have you ever noticed how when you pull up to that uh, traffic light and there's a person asking for money at the red light, what do all of us do? You lock your door first if it's not already locked and you do not make eye contact, right? It's kind of like with the, uh, uh, the, the bell ringers at Christmas when you're walking into, the, uh, into Walmart or someplace and they're ringing the bell. You don't make eye contact because then there's, a, you, you, there's like this obligation that you've got to do something, you've got to help. But Peter and John make eye contact. He locks eyes with him. And immediately this beggar knew he had a big gift coming because nobody makes eye contact with him. So he thinks dollar signs, I'm getting a couple of Big Macs today and I'm getting a large drink. Like This is gonna be a great day for me. And I wonder how often we come before God 
just like this lame beggar man before Peter and John, with great expectations of how God ought to answer our prayers. Instead of just coming and being grateful for how he chooses to answer. See, so many times in my life, I run to God and I present him with my problem and I tell him how he ought to answer and I have expectations for how he ought to move and how he ought to provide. And most of the time, God has something far greater for us to receive than what we expect him to do. I think this lame man's story teaches us to learn to trust in God's sovereignty in answering our prayers over trusting in our own ways and thoughts of how he ought to answer. We need to be reminded that God is sovereign in his hearing of our prayers and his answering of our prayers. Peter had something far greater than money to give to him. But can you imagine this man's response when Peter says, I've got no silver, I've got no gold, I can't do that. Can you imagine this man is like, man, you don't care about me? Look at my condition. You can't give me some silver, you can't give me some gold. Look at the mess I'm in. And if you really love Jesus, you'd help. But Peter and John wanted, wanted something far greater for this man than just supporting him in the condition that he found himself in. Think about how many people in the 40 years that this man had begged at these beautiful gates had just tossed money into his bucket to try to make his condition a little bit more bearable. And yet the very next day he found himself in the same exact situation in the same exact conditions over and over again. Peter and John wanted to bring restoration to his life through the power of Jesus. And I think it's a great reminder for us this morning as we find ourselves going through our own lives, as we interact with people in our workplace who are walking through difficult circumstances, as we interact with people in our daily lives who are walking through challenging situations, that our call as the church has not been about just simply making present conditions more bearable. Our call and our task as the church is to release the redemptive power of God here on earth. That's what we're called to. We're to be about redemption. What does redemption look like? What does it mean to be committed to redemptive work over just trying to make things better? Well, to redeem means to restore. If you've ever restored something, it means that you take it back to its original condition. You take something that is broken, that is messed up, that is not how it should be, and you bring it back to its original condition. That's what it means to restore. But when you look at restoration throughout Scripture, it always makes it better than it was to begin with. That's God's definition of restoration. That's God's definition of redemption, to take that which is broken and to put it back together in a way that makes it better than it was to begin with. And he has this ability to take the shattered and broken and messed up pieces of our life and glue them back together and to make them stronger in the places that we once were weak. God's promise of restoration is a promise for abundance. And that only happens through the Holy Spirit at work through us. Remember John, uh, Jesus' promise to us in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. That only happens through the Holy Spirit working through us. And it's what he has called us to. 
God has not called us to social justice and trying to make people's experience here on earth better. He's called us to be a part of a redemptive story of bringing about restoration in people's lives. And that, my friends, only happens through the Holy Spirit. Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit here in verse six, unleashes the power of God on this man. He gave the lame man the power in Jesus' name, but notice this, what he said, what I do have, I give to you. Peter could not bring about power on this man's life if he didn't first have it in his own life. And so often we see believers who wanna be able to say like Peter and John, rise up and walk. They wanna see people rise up and to be healed. And yet they've never received the power of Jesus to transform their own lives. They've never trusted the Holy Spirit to bring about restoration in the broken places in our own lives. We can't give out what we're not first experiencing in our own hearts and in our own lives. Part of being fueled by the Holy Spirit is allowing the Holy Spirit to work and transform and to restore us, amen? So that we can give that out to the world that we find around us. Verse seven, and Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. This is incredible. This, this outcast beggar of society who would have been looked down on by everybody else enters into the temple, praising God, leaping and walking. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. There was no doubt about who this, who this guy was. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It was one thing for Peter to look at this man and to say, rise up and walk. It was another thing for Peter to get get down on the ground and take him by the hands and lift him up to his feet and walk with him. This was not something Peter just did on a whim. This wasn't something that he did as like a promotional event to try to get a crowd and get people around him. Peter did it under the prompting and leading and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Peter, the man who once cut off the ear of a guard coming to arrest Jesus. Peter, the one who ran and hid in fear when Jesus was crucified. This guy is now boldly healing people in the name of Jesus. And it could only happen by the Holy Spirit who empowered Peter with a supernatural ability to trust him for something he could not do on his own. This man had been crippled since birth. And at the end of the story, we realized that everybody knew who he was. This was no stranger to the beautiful gate. He had been there day after day after day. The people who would have worshiped in the temple would have known him. They would have been familiar with him. He would have been a familiar sight at the temple when you showed up time and time again. And so it would be fair to say 
that Jesus himself would have passed this man countless of times as he entered into the temple through the beautiful gates. Think about how many times Jesus himself entering into the temple through the east gates, the beautiful gates would have passed by this crippled man who had been crippled since birth, who had begged for day after day at the temple gates and Jesus chose not to heal him. Jesus didn't heal this man because God's timing is just as important as his will. God's timing and when he chooses to do things is just as important as his will. And for Jesus, it was for greater good for God that Jesus healed this man from heaven through his apostles than to heal him when he was here on earth. And we have to learn to trust that. We've got to learn to trust in God's timing. We find our last encouragement in this is that we've got to trust that God's timing is gonna bring about the greatest glory for himself. As we begin to be led by the Holy Spirit in our own lives to go to people, he is going to do things in a time that doesn't always make sense to us. That we might at times go, hey, that's not how I would have done it. That's not when I would have done it. I would have done it back here. And we've got to learn to maybe keep our mouth shuts and begin to trust the sovereignty of God and when he chooses to answer in the way in which he chooses to answer, that it is a timing and a place that will bring the greatest glory to his name. Now, as they entered into the temple, Peter realized that what he wanted most in coming to the temple that day, a chance to share the gospel with someone had just happened. Because here this man is that everybody knows who was crippled from birth is now jumping and dancing and singing through the temple. This drew a crowd, (laughs) all right? Like if a crippled man that we all passed every single Sunday on our way into this place began to dance and sing and leap around this room, a bunch of y'all would be texting everybody you know to get to TriStar this morning because a miracle just happened. And that's what happened here. Everybody gathered around and Peter does what any good preacher would do in that moment. He capitalized and preached. It's like, I got a crowd and I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna tell them the gospel. I'm gonna tell them the good news. This is why he came to the temple in the first place. He reminds them of who Jesus is. He boldly preaches Jesus to them and what Jesus had done. And he calls them to repent of their sins. Now, unfortunately, the story does not tell us in the second half in Peter's sermon when he preaches the gospel of Jesus to them, whether or not these people repented. It doesn't tell us that thousands were added to their number because of Peter's sermon in the temple that day. It does tell us it ticked off the religious leaders. We'll get to that next week. Peter and John find themselves in a mess of trouble after this miracle and this sermon, which is uh, something interesting to think about. I don't know how the people responded, but I do know how I should respond to the healing of this lame man. It ought to fill me with more unction and desire to be fueled by the spirit in my own life. I ought to read all these pages about how Peter and John boldly made themselves available to be used by the Holy Spirit. 
and go, man, I need to do that more in my own life. I need to be ready. I need to be a witness for Jesus. So Jesus, this morning, we thank you for Peter and John who experienced the amazing supernatural things that happened at Pentecost, who saw the power of the Holy Spirit put on display before them and said, we want to live with that kind of power in our life. Not that it would bring attention and glory to us or build a kingdom for ourselves, but because it would bring attention and glory to your kingdom. We thank you that they didn't just shrink back into obscurity, but they lived lives fueled by the Holy Spirit and they carried the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth and that today we are here worshiping you together in this place. We are here studying your word together in this place because of these men who sacrificed and lived spirit-fueled lives. May we be emboldened to do the same. May we make ourselves available to you to be your witness. May we commit ourselves, not to just trying to make conditions here in people's lives better, but to be about bringing restoration in people's lives as the Holy Spirit leads us and empowers us. And may we trust that your timing will bring about maximum glory for your kingdom. Because that's why we're here. We're not here for ourselves. We've been redeemed by Jesus for your kingdom, for your purposes, for your glory. So help us to live lives fueled by the Holy Spirit this week and the places we live, work, and play, that our families, our workplaces, our communities would see Jesus through us. For in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.